This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 86, and I am interviewing Melissa Toller about the intersection of racism and diet culture, why dieting is violence, and how it strips us of our humanity, and so much more. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this podcast at summerinanin.com forward slash 86. That's 86. Before we begin, I have two quick announcements. First, if you haven't already done so, I would greatly appreciate it if you left a review for this podcast, you can go to summerinanin.com forward slash review in order to get a fast link to do that. Or you can just go into iTunes, click ratings and reviews and click to either rate or leave a review like this one from Mac Marianne. I love this podcast. Summer gets to the heart of Stop Dieting and the Body Positive Revolution. I love her style and insight. She jumps right into content, and I love that. Thank you, Mac, Marianne. That's awesome. So you can be one of those amazing people that helps others to find this show and boost it in the rankings. Second, you can get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Today's guest is Melissa Toller. Melissa is a non-diet weight neutral wellness coach who speaks and writes extensively about diet culture and the toll it takes on our lives and our humanity. She uses her background as a pharmacist, a certified health and wellness coach, and her 25-year history with dieting in all of her work. A fierce advocate for body justice, Melissa believes that now is the time for us to make justice a priority in the body positive community and to reject the status quo. Her mission is to help people connect the dots between our racist, patriarchal, capitalist society and our personal struggles with weight, body image, and self-acceptance. This is a good one. I think you're going to love it. Let's get started. Welcome, Melissa, to the show. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Summer. I'm really excited because I love the things that you post. I love your writing. I think that you have such a way with words and articulating things that you articulate them in a way that's really powerful and, and fierce and, and something that I'm, I sometimes struggle with myself. So I'm excited to have you <laughs> have you bring that to the show today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited, too. Well, before we start with, you know, blowing up diet culture and talking about the influence of racism on on wellness and things like that, I would love you to share a little bit about how you got into this work. Sure. So I started as a a certified health and wellness coach back in, I think I got my certification in 2013. And you know, there were a variety of factors that led me to want to coach. And I think one of them was I was a fitness competitor. I did figure competitions from 2011 to 2014. And so I got really into health and 
fitness and all that stuff. And I wanted to make it a job. I wanted to make it a career. And so I thought, well, maybe I could be a coach. And then I looked for programs and became a coach. And so that was like sort of the immediate prompt. But as I got into coaching and started working with clients, what started to come up was my own personal history with dieting. So like since I was 11 up until my mid 30s, Like a lot of women and girls, I was focused on trying to be thin and doing everything in my absolute power to do that. And so I wanted to initially in my (laughs) in my coaching practice, I still I sold weight loss. But I think my angle was about ditching the diets like there was a better, you know, a better way to lose weight. Right. And I even had a program called Ditch the Diet. Yes. Um. So that was my, that was the the beginning of my coaching. And so over time, that has definitely evolved. I mean, one of the biggest changes is that I no longer sell weight loss. The other thing is I talk a lot about the cultural influences on diet culture and even body the, the body positivity movement, because now I realize that, you know, my whole thing about ditching the diets and here's a better way to lose weight was actually just perpetuating the status quo. It wasn't anything radical, revolutionary about what I was saying. It was just doing it differently. And so I realized that's not really what I wanted to do. I realized that's not what women need to hear. It's not something that would have helped me. And so now I'm sort of exploring the cultural impact or the impact that the culture has on us as individuals and as a collective as it pertains to dieting and weight loss. And so I like I like to explore different avenues of that. Mhm. Yeah, and I I came not uh not exactly the same path, but uh I I used to coach women to ditch diets and still lose weight as well. So I understand and then when you wake up yourself and you realize yes the problem, then, (laughs) you know, I think it takes a lot of guts to change because it there's, you know, there's a financial toll associated with it. Yes, yes. And there's, you know, there's, it takes a lot of guts to say, uh, I was wrong about all that. And I'm, I'm sorry that, Mm. you know, I led some people down the incorrect path. But I think it's, um, it's really courageous and, and awesome. And I love how I love how, how you phrase like it's very blunt you're you just say i do not sell weight loss on my website so i think it's great i think it's really great yeah i just want to be clear because i think there's a lot you know i want to be clear because you know eventually like at one point i was sort of ambiguous i kind of had my one foot in uh selling weight loss and one foot out and i was like you can't keep doing this this is not what you honestly believe, you know, it's not going to help people in the way you want it to help people. But like you said, Summer, there's a huge financial risk to doing that yeah. because we're because dieting and weight loss is so ingrained in what we do. Like it's everywhere. It's hard to imagine life without it, actually. And I think that is what caused me to kind of have one foot in, one foot out. And then I just came to the realization that this is not authentic. This is holding me back. And I just don't want to do it anymore. I felt the same way. And I, I kind of navigated the two worlds in a, in a similar manner. And yeah, it, it's 
it's hard. I swear, if I could tell people on my website that you're going to lose weight if you do what I do, I, I'm sure I would be making a <laughs> lot more money than I make. But yes. there's a, there's this thing called integrity that <laughs> that is a value that I <laughs> uphold, and I think that <laughs> I think that that's that's really important. And and I know I know people appreciate that, and I know people appreciate what what we're doing. But um, yeah, it's not it's not the easy road. That's for sure. Oh no, not not at all, mm-hmm. not at all. Yeah. So I want to talk about, you know, you recently wrote here in America, we're socialized to view everything through the lens of whiteness and weight loss is no exception. White is the default for American normal human and good. Anything else is considered to be other from an early age. We understand that thin plus white plus female equals womanhood and femininity. You say, I vividly remember flipping through the pages of Seventeen magazine, wishing I looked like the skinny blonde girls in tank tops and acid wash jeans. I would love to know the influence <laughs> of racism on your on your body image growing up. Oh, that's yes. So it's huge. And you know what's interesting? It's not until recently that I really realized that until I put it wasn't until recently that I made the connection that I spoke about in that piece that you just read, that, you know, this we're set up here in the West to view things through the lens of whiteness. And, you know, diet culture and the weight loss industry and health and wellness, it's no exception. It's the same, it's part of the same system, right? It's part of the same racist, sexist, patriarchal system that everything else is a part of and and capitalists as well. So like, you know, diet culture makes billions, the diet industry makes billions of dollars off of encouraging people to not be themselves ultimately. It's it's encouraging us to to measure up to a standard that many of us are never going to measure up to. It's a way to keep people feeling inferior and paying money to hopefully feel different one day. And that day never comes. So I realized that I had always been trying to, (laughs) you know, it's funny when I say we were all just trying to be thin, pretty young white women. And like, you know, that sounds funny. And we're not all literally trying to be that, but we're trying to get what we see comes with that. Yes. And it's, you know, attention and love and value and that is a that's cherished in this in this culture. So we're just all kind of hoping for that. And as a black woman, that's not I'm never, ever going to be white. Um, my body type is not thin, naturally. So that just, you know, that has a big negative effect on the way that I felt about myself. Mm-hmm. And you know, once I kind of realized that this was like this is what diet culture really is about that it's about keeping me, it's about denying my own humanity and uh, not allowing me to exist peacefully in my own body because something is inherently wrong with it, something I can't ever change about myself. And, you know, that's a, a powerful but also uncomfortable realization to have. And so, you know, I just started to make that connection and exploring the different ways that dieting has sort of the different ways that it it has made a negative impact on my life. And one of the things I want I, was a realization was, you know, for most of my like adolescence and adult life, I, like many other black women, struggled with 
making my hair different than it is, right? So I struggled with having, making my hair, wanting my hair to be straight, not puffy, and, and, and avoiding it in its natural state. And so what I realized is that the same system that encourages me to straighten my hair and to not allow my hair to come through my head as it naturally would is the same system that encourages me to shrink my body. It's all in service of making me want to be or yeah, making me want to achieve that ideal standard of whiteness, which I'll never be able to do. So it's actually a pretty painful thing when you look back and say, you know, this is I've spent a lifetime trying to be something else, something I can never be and hating myself in the process. And, you know, it's I'm still kind of unpacking that. And I'm doing a lot of it through my writing. Mm -hmm. One thing I've heard come up when I've talked to other women of color is that the weight becomes a focus because you can't change your color. So it's like, well, at least if I can be skinny, then I'm one step closer. Like if I can be thinner. And I think that that's, that's a really important perspective for, for people to understand like the, the intersection of those, of those things. Absolutely. Because the more, the more marginalized identities you have, the worse off you can be in this culture, right? If you're a fat, black, queer woman, (laughs) you know, that, that is not, I mean, that's so far away from the norm and yeah. And, and you can, you can never get it's like you you spend all this time and money and energy trying to get to the norm, but you never get there. And in all of that time that you spend, you never learn to appreciate and embrace and love the person you are naturally, because that's not that's not how people make money in this culture. It has to be money gets made off of our manufactured insecurities. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, something that I think I was blind to for so long was just, you know, was how white everything is. Mm -hmm. Um, And specifically the, the wellness industry. Oh, yes. And, you know, you look at if you if you go into a bookstore, and you look at the latest diet books or cookbooks, you know, it's all just thin, white, women gracing the covers of every single one of those books. And if you look up, you know, wellness on Instagram, like it's the same thing or yoga or, you know, it's, 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 in, it's insidious. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. it's absolutely everywhere. And it's, and it, you know, the message is that wellness really is not for everyone. Right. And so there's two messages, like health and wellness is supposed to be different from dieting. Like, uh, you know, people try to distinguish wellness from dieting and health from dieting. When in reality, it's all the same thing. It's all under the same umbrella. It's all about spending money on measuring up to a standard, whether it's a standard of how you look, how you eat, how you live, how you exercise. And that standard is always and always has been white. And that excludes a lot of people. And so wellness ends up not really being about individuals and individuals and collective wellness, because there are entire communities who don't have access to the quote unquote wellness that is highly encouraged and touted and sold in our culture. So wellness is is sort of um, 
it's like a, I don't want to say it's like a unicorn. It's just not, it's the same thing as diet culture in, in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it becomes, it's inaccessible to marginalized groups. Yes, yes. And it's a, it's like so standardized that it doesn't take into account the, um, it doesn't take into account the experiences of marginalized groups. Like a, a woman that I met on Facebook is a yoga instructor and she was telling a story about how a young black man came into her studio and (laughs) another student who was a white woman walks up to him, doesn't know him from a can spray paint and says, with that face and those tattoos, you look like you just came out of prison or belong in prison. Mm. So that's a violent I mean, like, imagine going into a yoga class where you're supposed to go and be, feel safe and like it's a healing space, allegedly, and you're faced with this kind of nonsense. And this happens a lot where marginalized people with marginalized identities don't always feel safe or healed in these these um, wellness spaces. And it happens more often than people are willing to um, admit yeah, wow. And so what I mean, what what do you think needs to happen? Or or and I know like a lot needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a lot. But um I mean you can talk tell me what, what needs to happen, but even just from, you know, what what do you want people to know or like what can we do as individuals to to do better? Yeah, you know, I think what's really important and so this is something I'm thinking I think about all the time. I know there's no easy answer. It's not just up to me and a few other people. It's something we have to do, yes, as individuals and as a collective. But I think until we truly dismantle this whole system, which is like probably definitely not something that we'll see in our lifetimes, we're still going to deal with that. I think things that can help along the way are things that we're doing, like having this conversation, making people aware of these things and and speaking out. Like it's important to speak out when you see when you see things that just aren't right, when you see people like the woman in that yoga class speaking up against this nonsense and making it clear that you don't stand for that. So I'm just trying to do the little I can through my writing and speaking and having conversations like this with you to just bring awareness and help people to connect the dots between the feelings that they have about themselves and the larger culture, because oftentimes we are made to believe that it's our own doing, that we feel shitty about ourselves. And that just isn't true. Not true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, something I'm noticing as well is that because so many women from the wellness industry, they'll then go on to like find body positivity and not necessarily like the real body positivity, which I'll put in quotation marks, which is, yeah. you know, not selling weight loss and and understanding that it's rooted in that it is fat acceptance um, and that is the cornerstone of it. But, you know, it the, the, that whiteness seems to leak over into <laughs> that body positivity. And I'm curious to to know your your thoughts on that or your opinions or what you've noticed. Oh, yeah. And uh, yes, it has leaked over. (laughs) It's like a big, big ass leak. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Body positivity, you know, mainstream body body positivity needs a freaking overhaul. I mean, you know that I know that 
it has started to look a lot like diet culture in a lot of ways because there are many people still encouraging weight loss, but just in a different way. It's still the face of it is primarily conventionally attractive young white women who have fat in the right places and are not too fat. And apparently there's like a, you know, there's a spectrum of fatness that's still allowable. And it, the more mainstream it is, the less political and radical it is, of course. It, it gets completely watered down. And like you said, body positivity, the whole body positivity movement is, is rooted in fat acceptance and feminism. And that seems to have gotten lost. And it seems like it's just become a way for some people to get attention and to make money. And it does not include everyone. I honestly can't see myself in body positivity. It doesn't include people who are differently abled. You know, it just, it's more of the same with a different label. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the problem when things become mainstream. Yes. <laughs> it is. It's like you said, I mean, it's like, it, yeah, I, you know, the increase in mainstream equals decrease in political and decrease in the, in the radicalism of it. What do you think women like myself who have privilege can do and who, you know, white, smaller bodied, kind of young, I guess, not so much anymore, I don't know, can pass as young, I guess. Um, you know, what can women like myself do and, and some of the listeners to to be better, to be better allies? Yes. So I think centering different voices, right? Amplifying voices of women of color, differently abled women, fat women, like, and even if you don't have a platform in which to do that, just reading their stuff, you know, it gives you a whole different perspective on things. When you read people like Ashley Shackelford, who- She's one of my favorites. I know. Isn't she awesome? She just does, she gives no fucks about (laughs) Yes, she's amazing. Yes. (laughs) So she describes herself as a fat, black, queer femme. And she just is like, her words are so powerful. And just to see, you know, it's people like her who get, who allow, you can start to see the humanity that we have been encouraged to ignore in certain people and specifically fat black women. And so reading the words of people, but specifically women with marginalized identities can help shift your thinking in just incredible ways. So amplifying voices of people with marginalized identities. And if you don't have a platform to do that, just like reading and engaging in their stuff to show you that there's a whole other world of people who deserve to be seen out there. And I just want to say that when I started to do that myself, it initially can almost feel a little uncomfortable. And you think like, it's like, oh, there's something wrong with me, which is a very privileged perspective. <laughs> like this is mm-hmm. not about you. If you feel uncomfortable, that's a good thing. And I think it's it's really important to go into it and ask yourself, what if I am wrong? What if I've been doing this wrong? What can I do better? And that's part of humility and having humility. And so I just want to communicate that to anyone who's listening who has felt that way because I see that come up sometimes and they, it, they you know, people make it about themselves and it's like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Like just listen and just be curious and and open your mind and think, what if I am, what if I was wrong or what if I can do better? doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It's just like, that's, that's, that's just a really important thing to be asking ourselves in order to 
really do what's best for for this culture and for this movement. Absolutely. And, you know, I do want to acknowledge that it's a it's an uncomfortable conversation. It's difficult, but it's necessary. And what you just said about feeling like as a white woman, well, maybe what's wrong with me, like getting your feelings involved. And really, it's not about your feelings. It's about our collective liberation, right? Because here's the thing, like, I think Audrey Lord said this, uh, uh, some, uh, the quote is something like, none of us is free until all of us are free. Mm-hmm. And so white women may have privilege, but a lot of them are still caught up in the same oppressive nonsense that all of us are caught up in. So, you know, it's it's for our individual good and it's also for the greater good to just expand your mind and recognize that there are other human beings out there who are not allowed or encouraged to exist in their bodies in a peaceful way. And that's not okay for any of us. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to add on this before we shift gears? <laughs> I just want to encourage your listeners to like expand their minds and and don't be afraid to get political because you know people think I don't want to be political means I don't want to talk about different candidates Republican versus Democrat and like that's not what it is body oppression is inherently political being a woman and trying to and fighting for rights is a political thing and that's what the body positivity and body acceptance and fat acceptance is about mm-hmm. so Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Get comfortable with hearing things that are not go that are going to go against your worldview. But trust me when I say it will make you a better person. Yes, yeah, and I can say that because I've I've been through I've been through that and I've come out the other. I'm still mm-hmm. I still have so much to learn. Don't, don't do not get mm-hmm. me wrong here, but um, yeah, like you know, having read that stuff a couple years ago and kind of feeling I don't just uncomfortable with it to now just yes. reading it and feeling like yes and and understanding it really like you said about the that it's it's about the collective liberation and that these voices need to be amplified and heard and. And that, you know, we have to be willing to take a step back and, and let go of, of some of that, of the privilege in order to help all, like everyone and especially marginalized groups. Yes. Okay. So you speak candidly about how dieting is violence, which I completely agree with you on, but to some people, this may sound exaggerated. And I'd love you to elaborate on why you use the word violence when you talk about dieting. Yes. So back in like maybe a year or a little over a year ago, I read a post by Rachel Cole Cole, entitled Dieting is a Violent Act. And when I read it, I was like, oh my God, this is everything I've been thinking about weight loss and dieting and the whole thing. And And, you know, at first when I started to think about it, I was like, is violence too strong? But then I I was kind of going back and forth between is violence too strong of a word? Then I realized my the the mere questioning of that is a result of my being socialized to believe that dieting is a natural part of life. And it is not. Dieting is violent because it it asks us to go against ourselves all the time. It encourages us to ignore our body's own signals. It encourages us to give up our sovereignty and autonomy to something or someone else and to pay to do that. It's violent because we are encouraged to 
restrict food or deny ourselves pleasure from food. The whole thing is requires you to to be at war with yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't if that's not violent, I don't know what is. One of the first blog posts that I wrote on body image was titled, Are You in an Abusive Relationship with Your Scale? And I remember writing it and thinking, ooh, that's like abuse. You know, do I really want to use that word? And when I thought about it, I was like, yes, because that's what we're doing. That we're, yes, we are inflicting abuse on ourselves. If somebody did that to us, it would be considered abuse. You know, somebody making you push through pain or making you ignore hunger or making you, you know, measure your your body and and say like you're not good unless you you weigh this or weigh that. That's that that's abuse. It's very abusive. And it can be very, you know, it's it, it's difficult to come to that conclusion. It's difficult to get comfortable with that statement because of our programming. Like from an early age, most women have been programmed to believe that this is just a natural part of being a woman. And so to to think that all of these years you've been doing this thing that has been violent is hard to freaking, it's hard to take in. But it's just, it is a reality. It's not a peaceful thing. It's not peaceful for you to sit in front of, or sit at a restaurant and be in a, a, a state of confusion about whether or not you should eat the bread or whether you should have dessert. And if you do give in, quote unquote, then you spend all this time feeling bad about yourself. That is unacceptable, but we have accepted it as a part of life. And it's not. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I know recently you've been talking about how diet culture respects our individual and collective humanity. And I feel like when you're in it, you don't see it that way. And so can you can you talk about what you mean when you say it disrespects our our humanity? Yes, 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 yes. And you know, this is also a recent revelation that I've had, it it doesn't allow you to be an imperfect, self determined human being, right? It asks you to give up your power to someone else, to a meal plan, to a diet, to a diet guru, to whatever. It asks you to ignore your body's own natural signals, which is inherent to being human. It requires that we are perfect or close to it. So there are standards of what foods we should be eating and exercises that we should be doing and a standard of how we should look. We idealize ways of eating and ways of looking. And those things go against our humanity. They don't allow us to be free, imperfect, self-determined people. And I think once I like put that together, like once I discovered that thing for myself, I was like, yo, I can't keep, I can absolutely not do this anymore. This is not the experience I want to have for the rest of my life. I want to experience myself. I want to experience my body. I want to experience the world. And obsession with losing weight and thinking I am not acceptable or lovable or worthy because I'm a certain size will interfere with my ability to be completely and fully human. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we don't, we don't really, we're not attuned with who we are, because it strips that away from us. Yeah, how can you be? Like, how can you be attuned to where you are if you're counting points all the time? I have a friend who recently lost like 40 pounds on Weight Watchers, and she said, I'm going to count points for the rest of my life, and was excited about it. Mm -hmm. And 
how can you be attuned with your body? How can you know the full depth of yourself as a woman, as a person, if every day and every meal of every day is being scrutinized? It just, I don't, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. Likewise. And I think, you know, you lose out on being present and you lose out on, you're losing out on life experience and you're, you're losing out on doing something really meaningful with your, yes. with your life. And even someone like, like Oprah, who does a lot of <laughs> meaningful things with her life yes, is still, yep. you know, is, is still missing out. I think, you know, there, there's obviously oh, yeah. something there and, and, and who knows, like we can speculate all day as to why she does what she does, but yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the whole, the whole dehumanization it can happen subtly and, you know, both within ourselves and, and to like we dehumanize others. And so, you know, an example within ourselves would be, like you said, not ordering something you want at a restaurant or, or passing on the bread because you're, you know, you're afraid of either people judging you or what it may or may not do to your body, which is generally what it won't do. But <laughs> And other ways, I think, you know, we dehumanize others by saying things like you look so healthy or you've lost weight, you know, you you look so good. And I think that that contributes to the dehumanization of of others as well. Yes, it absolutely does. It because it it sort of reinforces the idea that we have to maintain or live up to a certain standard. Like I said earlier, like, but the standard is not something that the majority of us are able to measure up to. And if we are able to get to that point, it takes a lot of work to maintain it. And it's that work and that mental energy that sucks the life out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another thing you said is that even though we've been convinced that it's a constant pursuit of a like that that it's a personal choice, the constant pursuit of a smaller body is a personal choice, it's actually not. Now, that is something that I think a lot of people would argue, well no, it is my choice and I'm doing it for health or for whatever reason. Why do you say it's not a personal choice? Because that choice is not made in a vacuum. That choice is highly influenced by our diet culture. We don't. And so I had this revelation. I have two little nieces. One is six and one is almost two. And I realized just seeing them in their bodies and living life, I realized we don't come out of the womb (laughs) wanting to lose weight. Like that is a manufactured concept that has been like laser tattooed on our brains. And the choice is it. Yes, you choose to do it. But that choice is, it comes from a place of, that choice comes from our diet culture. It comes from a place of trying to control your body to prove how worthy you are and to feel valued and valuable and loved and lovable. And sometimes people sprinkle health on it to try to make it seem more legit, but that's a whole other conversation. The reality is women are conditioned to control our bodies to look a certain way so that we can be acceptable. And that that is something that is woven into the fabric of our society. It's in everything. It's everywhere. And we cannot avoid it. So that choice comes from that place. And that's why body positivity and weight loss cannot go together. Cannot. Cannot. It just, yeah, it cannot. So I know there are people who argue that, but I don't, I can't see how it does. Weight loss is something that is, like I said, a manufactured concept, primarily targeted toward women. And um, 
that to me, there's nothing positive about that. Yeah, I mean, how can you take down the systems that contribute to oppression when you're actively participating in the the things that uphold them? It's like, it does not make any sense. It does Mm -hmm. not make any sense. And I think that, you know, I hope people wake up. (laughs) Because I know, I know, like you and I both said, you know, we were kind of navigating the two sides a little bit for a a while as coaches. And then you really start to wake up and you realize, no, (laughs) you can't, you can't put that that you know this peanut butter with that jelly like that's just not gonna work so (laughs) (laughs) i i do hope that people wake up too i think that is what drives my writing that is what drives having conversations like this that i just want people to see it i don't and i don't want to be right i don't consider myself to be an expert i'm still exploring Sometimes I like put things out there that I'm still thinking about. Sometimes I wait till I figure it out a little bit more. But ultimately, I want people to wake the fuck up because (laughs) you cannot spend or you can. But I don't want to spend the rest of my fucking life concerned about being fat or scared about being fat and depriving myself of food. I will not be 75 years of age thinking about this shit. I don't want to do it. And I don't want it for my two nieces. Yes. I don't want them to get to like elementary school or middle school and and have all of the stuff that I dealt with when I was 11 and 12 years old. It sucks the life out of you. It it makes you it disconnects you from who you are. And if you're lucky, you come out of it at a later age and then can discover yourself. But why can't we have that shit all along? That's mm-hmm. what, that's the whole point. Like, why can't we always have that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's amazing once you've woken up to it, like you feel ugh, like it, it, it is got this fire inside of us, right? Like, you know, I mm-hmm. hear it in you. You're like, it does not need to <laughs> fucking be that way. I am not going to be the 75 year old thinking about this. And, uh, nope. and so, I mean, I think that's the only positive that comes out of this is, is you have women like yourself who, oh, there's a lot of fire in there because of all the years that we bought into it, that we were directing that onto ourselves, the anger and the hate back onto ourselves, trying to fix ourselves. Now we wake up and it's time to unleash it and and, yeah. and create change. And I think that that's one positive that that we can appreciate about the the experiences that we had being so stuck inside of it. Yes, yes. Unleash and redirect this anger to the system that perpetuates this nonsense. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm so fucking fired up about this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I love it. Well, your writing is so good. So I, I, I hope that your fire doesn't dim or anything like that. You know how I keep it blazing? I have, first of all, I have conversations like this. But I also like when I see like ads for detoxes on Instagram and all of this diet shit, Mm -hmm. it like fires me up. And then I just go rant writing and stuff. Good stuff comes out of that. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes to to write good stuff, you have to just go and revisit the other world for a little bit. Just to trigger, (laughs) you need to trigger it. I I do the same thing. And I'm at a point where I can safely do that. You know, it doesn't do anything to me, except it just creates like ideas. And I'm, I just call, Oh yeah. Just like, like, oh man, I'm just going to call bullshit all over the place here. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't tempt me into going back. It just makes me mad. Yeah. And it makes me write good things. Yeah. So. Just, just fuck the shit and throw the desk up in the air. You know, it's like, it's that meme where it's like, <laughs> fuck this shit o'clock. That's what, that's how I feel half the time. Yes. 
yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we we've, we've deconstructed a lot of things here, but I I would love to get your and maybe it's a little bit of your story or what you want to offer women. Just how do they start to reclaim their humanity? Or you know they're hearing mm. this and they're like, okay, I get it. Now what? Yes, I think unlearning and relearning is a critical step, and unlearning requires you to really think critically about some of the things that you've been told through diet culture for your whole life. And listening to voices and experiences and hearing other people's stories about letting go of diet culture. So basically detoxing your Facebook feed, your Instagram feed from all the fitspo, shitspo nonsense that (laughs) is that just encourages you to go against yourself. Detoxing and unlearning and learning something new is critical. It's critical. And it helps to have a mentor guide you if you can afford that, if that's something that you can do. But if even if you can't, just like immerse yourself into learning a different way. And once you start to see how much bullshit there is <laughs> in the messages that we've received, it just becomes a lot easier to leave behind. Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest things. And I think if we can, you know, as a child, I, we, because I live in Canada, you learn French, you you are, mm-hmm. you study French as a, as a child going through school. And then I don't actually speak it because I just don't use it in my everyday life. So I've forgotten it, but there was a time where I learned it. And I feel like this is a similar you know, we can use that as a as a bit of a metaphor in that you're capable of learning a new language and speaking it and then starting to think in it. And you're capable of losing mm-hmm. what you learned from another language. And I think a lot of us were just we were taught the language of diet culture. And it is entirely possible to unlearn it and learn the new language of liberation and body positivity. Oh, absolutely. Very well said. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, on that note, where can people find more of you? Yes. So I am at melissatoller.com and all of my blogs are under the category of truth telling. So I write at least like once a week or every other week, but I'm also on Facebook. I have a Facebook page, Melissa Toller, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at Melissa D. Toller. Okay, great. Anyone else that you recommend people follow? I know you mentioned Ashley Shackelford. Anyone else that you think would be good for people to give them a well-rounded view of different experiences. So Ashley Shackelford, Virgie Tovar, Jessamine Stanley, who's Mm -hmm. like awesome in yoga. She has a great Instagram account. Rachel Cole, who I mentioned earlier, just writes some really beautiful things about this. Mm -hmm. And Hillary and Dana from Be Nourished are also awesome. Great. Rachel Cole was on the podcast. She was episode 81. For those of you listening and want to find that episode, it was a great one as well. Thank Mm. you so much for being here, Melissa. This was awesome. We'll have to have you back on after you've (laughs) done a bunch more work and had a a few more amazing insights and and perspectives that have come out of your writing. Like I said, I mean, I I love your writing. So I encourage everyone to sign up to to get your to get your blog posts and to to follow you on social media, because you just smack it down like you're just Mm -hmm. (laughs) you are blowing up the bullshit (laughs) in the best way. Yeah, thank I you. And thanks it. for inviting me on. This has been awesome to talk about this. I could I could go on for a couple more hours. But. I know we could, we could, <laughs> and we will. We'll have you back in the future. Thank you again, Melissa. Rock on. All right. Thanks, Summer.
I love speaking to brilliant women like Melissa. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. You can find all of the links that we spoke about at summerinandin.com forward slash eight six. Thank you so much for listening. Go leave a review and I will see you next time. Rock on. 